everyone. Episode one. Welcome to Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury. Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury. I am George Clooney. I feel really weird saying the name of the podcast right after I say my own name. Like, this is Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury. I'm Jesse Mercury. I think it sounds great. Does it sound great? Yeah, it's, All right. it really, really brings forth how into yourself you are. Like, I think we really get that. Now. I'm real into myself. I know, you super are. I super am. Yeah, you super yeah. am. Super am. Um, all right, so so we've got Netflix open. Right we've got now. Netflix open. We are looking at our theme for the evening, which is Star Trek: The Next Generation. But before we get to that, this is Audrey. This is my guest for the evening. Hello, Audrey Tapia. Hi, Audrey the Great. Mm-hmm. Adriana Tapia. I don't know why. Ooh, that I go, was good. I go Italian when I yeah, say that. Yeah, it's okay. I'm a little Italian. It's a me. Yeah, Adriana. Adriana Tapia. Something in and you're not Italian at all, but uh, it seems to fit. I, I am. I'm half Italian, half what? Costa Rican. Straight up did not know that. Yeah, according to my family, they could be lying to me. Yeah. Because I didn't find out until I was 17 that I'm half adopted. Wow. Yeah. This got real serious. Yeah, I know. But well, that's a story for another you episode. You didn't find out you were half Italian until you were 18? 17. 17? Yes. I have a real bad memory. Yeah, I'm Literally pretty, I'm pretty that sure regularly. that I've told you this story before. You told me the story. You didn't tell me you were half Italian. Yeah. yeah. Half Italian, half Costa Rican. Santini Silbetti, apparently, is my actual, would have been my actual last name. Wow. Yeah. So when you say Adriana Tapia, it's like not that far off. It's pretty accurate. Yeah. Uh, so I'm starting this podcast basically just as an excuse to talk about my favorite sci-fi with my friends, um, which is why Audrey's here. Audrey's one of my, my bestest friends. Bestie. <laughs> Uh, and it felt like a fitting start to the show to talk about my all-time favorite show with one of my all-time favorite people. So Aww. here we are, talking about Star Aww. Trek Next Generation. Shucks. I am doing a sci- what I call the sci-fi project, which I've been working on for a couple years, where I realized that uh, you know, I'm a musician, I love sci-fi, I'm just going to combine the two. So I've just been writing sci-fi songs for my solo project for the last couple of years, uh, and they're, they are awesome. Back me up on this. Oh, you don't see me at home, but I am raising the roof right now. <laughs> I am like, pr- you know, preach. Yeah. It's, yes, absolutely. I think it's, uh, I think I think the, it's the best the work that I've ever done. The two worlds should be married. And if you haven't listened to Jesse Mercury's music yet, I suggest you go on Bandcamp. Not right now, after you listen to this, because we need you focused for this. But <laughs> but uh, you go to Jesse Mercury on Bandcamp and listen to his music, Time Child and Traveler, are probably two of my favorite songs on the planet. Traveler right now is my favorite on the album. And it's about Star Trek Next Generation. And it's, it's about, about an episode, A specific episode that we'll be talking about tonight. Um, so yeah, the main reason I want to do the podcast, talk about sci-fi with my friends, uh, backup reason, I just want to talk to cool people who are doing cool artistic stuff in Seattle, because there's so much of it going on. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, so much cool stuff going on in Seattle that I just don't think is getting enough attention. Uh, so I just wanted to shine some light on it. Uh, my, my stuff included. And yeah, we're going to have some really cool people on the show coming up in the future. Audrey will be coming back several times. Audrey and I are going to be talking our way all the way through the next generation. Not all tonight. Tonight we're just going to talk about the show in general. I have a lot to say, ladies and gentlemen. So much to say. Yeah. We're just going to talk about season <laughs> one. Uh, and just about the show and about the characters. I would like to just put it out there that I think that Star Trek The Next Generation is the best TV show of all time. I think that I'm going to make that decision after 
at, at the end of our, on our last episode about Star Trek, I think. Okay, I think that's I'll fair. make that decision when I reach that point. Well, you're only halfway there. So the reason <laughs> yeah. the reason we're doing this with you is mm-hmm. because... Because I'm a baby. Because you're a baby. I'm Five a months baby. ago... I'm an had, infant in the TNG world. In the Star never, Trek world in general. But you had never seen a single episode of Star Trek in your entire life. Not a single one. Not even the old ones. is kind of yeah. incredible. I mean, you have to do some real avoidance. Well, you know, in, in my household, we were a big Star Wars family. Mm. And saying Star Trek was almost like a dirty word. Like oh, yeah. We, we weren't, the, that rivalry was very real when I was a kid. Oh, yeah, so, like, me too. I, so I kind of just avoided it like the plague. Like, I, I went out of my way to not watch Star Trek because we are a Star Wars family. And that's what we watch. So, it's just yeah. straight up racism. Yeah, it's and racism. But I'm a, I'm a far more enlightened person now. Yeah. So I wear, I wear yellow pantyhose. You're wearing them right now. Yeah. I can see it. It's I, right in front of know, me. Yeah. yeah. So I like the color purple now. Not the movie. I've never seen that. But yeah, there's a very disturbing trend in fandom to to hate on things. I am the opposite, though. Yeah. I've I've turned into the opposite person. I want to love everything. I just like liking things. In the words of Abed Nadir, yeah. I just like. I guess I just like liking things. I don't you know? know who that is, but I agree. <laughs> well, you can't call yourself a real nerd until you get there. So we'll we'll talk about that oh, later. I can call myself a real nerd. I have a Star Trek <laughs> tattoo. Oh, I am a so nerd. tell the viewers, tell the listeners at home about your Star Trek tattoo. Well, I have thirty tattooed on my arm in Klingon. It's a long story that I that we'll talk about another time. Um, <laughs> But this like weird trend in fandom, I grew up with it also, where I was a Star Trek kid, and all the Star Wars kids made fun of me, because um, I'd never I'm seen Star Wars. I was, yeah. I think I was like 11 or 12 when I saw Star Wars for the first time, oh my God. and I like dived in head first. I mean, yeah. That's I- It's still a good age. It's a good age. Yeah. I went, I was like head over heels for Star Wars, and I like learned everything about it, bought all the action figures, read all the expanded universe novels- this is also a, like something I want to talk about in the future is the expanded universe Star Wars novels. <laughs> uh, but my first love was always Star Trek. The Next Generation came out in 1987. I was born in 1984. I don't remember a time in my life where I didn't watch this show. Like, it's always been something that I watched. I literally cannot remember watching for the first time. It's just like I always watched it. It's like Christmas. It. Like, you just, well. I don't know. I'm or, Jewish. Sorry. I'm sorry. It's like Hanukkah. <laughs> like, you know, you it's probably can't there. remember your first Hanukkah either. I don't. Yeah. yeah. And I, I was thinking about this earlier today because... I know that the first time I saw the first episode of The Next Generation was after I'd seen, like, dozens and dozens of episodes. Like, maybe even, like, a hundred episodes. I don't know how many episodes there are. I don't remember off the top of my head, which yeah, I'm embarrassed to you're say. Terrible. I'm you're a awful. terrible fan. I'm the worst. <laughs> uh, but I remember seeing the first episode for the first time being like, oh, my God. There's people that are, like, family to me. They don't know each other. Riker doesn't know Data. Data's, like, whistling something on the holodeck. What is going on, you know? Data wants to be a real boy. All this stuff that hadn't been set up for me that I had picked up on, but then was really, um, like, nailed home by watching the first episode for the first time. But I had just grown up with it for so long that it was, like, shocking to me that these characters didn't know each other at one point because they just felt so real and so much like family. And at the heart of Star Trek Next Generation... That is why the show works, is because all of the characters feel consistent and real all of the time. I'm sure you could find, like, a point or two where you disagree with that. I'm sure I could find that. But for, for like, 99%, um, especially once you get to seasons three through seven, it's an incredibly consistently well-written character show. Um, And it has some of the best sci-fi concepts that 
I've ever seen on TV. Well, that's the interesting thing. Like uh, watching the first season, I, I feel like there's a lot of great sci-fi concepts happening in the first season. And then once they kind of, there, there was a moment there where they could have lost their momentum, but then they really started diving deep into these interpersonal you know, yes. uh, relationships with the characters. And that's really what drives the show. It's a great ensemble piece. Like yeah. everyone works together so well and everyone, you know, like with Data Data and Tasha's relationship coming back every once in a while long mm. after, you know, she's gone and like... Spoilers. Sorry, spoiler <laughs> alert. Um, but... Uh, well, this is know. all going to be spoilers. Yeah, so don't, is, I mean, if you... If you haven't seen it, don't listen to this unless you've seen the first season. Yeah, or if you don't know if you want to watch the first season, listen to this and then yeah. decide to watch it. Uh, I will say about this show that whenever people ask me where should I start if they've never watched it, I tell them season three. I tell them to pick up in season three and then I, come back and watch the first two. I don't Only know. Only because I want to sell people and I the show to me doesn't sell itself until season three. It sold itself for me. Did it? Yeah, I mean, I started at season one and, and there were some rocky points. I am a completist though. I will finish. Yeah, me too. I, I watched all of Glee and that show got terrible after the third season, but I watched all of it. Yeah, like, I watched all <laughs> of Star Trek Voyager much yeah. to my own chagrin. <laughs> You know? you know, but so maybe that that has something to do with it. But the first season held up just fine on its own. And I, I really loved it. And it, it was able to keep me interested enough that by the later seasons, I was just hooked. You awesome. know, so so, you know, I, I, I don't like starting in the middle of a series. Yeah, like, I don't either. I won't um, do it, but. But I feel like maybe yeah. I'm the exception. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my I'm goodness, so Audrey. sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I think I had some some uh, Baba Ganoush earlier. Wow. Yeah. Um, I, think I hope it was worth it. Yeah. I, I'm sorry if I'm ruining your podcast, but. You know what? We'll let, we'll let posterity decide that. Okay, Because cool. <laughs> I'm leaving those burps in. I'm leaving them in. Um, so when this show came out, I don't know if you know any of the background of this show. No, I, I, I don't read... know anything about this show other than what's been on screen. Okay. Let me, let me set yeah. up for you the history of Star Trek just a little bit so okay. you know what you jumped into. Okay. So the first Star Trek series was on the 60s. It was on for three years. It never really caught on that much. I mean, it was not a failure by any means, but it got canceled after three years. You know, it was like a, a reasonable success. Um, some people argue that it went downhill a little bit in the third season. I've heard a little bit about maybe some behind-the-scenes stuff. Are we talking about, like, on. OG Star OG Wars? Star Trek. Okay, Star, Star Trek. Trek. Sorry, sorry. It's fine. See, I don't hate. I don't mind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But then, uh, so it, it gets canceled, and then this sort of, like, groundswell of fan support becomes apparent. So, stuff like this is common these days, you know? Like, community gets canceled, people freak out, yeah, community's brought back. Yeah, that was before back. internet. This is before the internet. Yeah. This is letter-writing campaigns to Paramount saying, how dare you cancel Star Trek? Like, this was my, you know, vision into a positive future, and I need it back. So, they start making movies, um, and... Uh, the first movie, like, start making movies with the original cast. And as far as the world is concerned, the original cast is Star Trek, right? Captain Kirk, Spock, this is Star Trek. To say that anything else is Star Trek would have been, like, you know, blasphemy. The first movie does okay at the box office. Not great. Um, I love the first movie, but it is very slow. It's like, it took off from 2001 a lot, as far as being, like, a slow space opera. Uh, and it really just didn't do that great. Um, it was not the tone of the original series, which is very campy and a lot of fun. Uh, so it just didn't really catch on. So they make Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan on a shoestring budget, and it is one of the best movies of all time. I haven't seen it. 
Uh, it is wonderful. Yeah. One of my songs on the sci-fi album is about Wrath of Khan. It's a song from the point of view of Khan while he's waiting in purgatory for Kirk to come back. And I don't want to get too much into the story because I don't want to ruin it for you. I but... don't know. I never really had an interest in any of the original stuff. Like, yeah. I think I probably watched a single episode and I was like, this is boring. I didn't develop an interest until after I'd seen the movies. I, my introduction to Kirk was Star Trek The Motion Picture. And I didn't watch the original series until I was an adult. Uh, after, And I, I watched the movies as like a teenager, I think, and loved them. But just didn't have the... I don't know, I was nervous about going back into the originals. Because I loved Next Generation so much, I didn't think that anything could hold up to me. Um, so I just didn't watch it until I was an adult. And there are episodes of the original series that rival anything in the Next Generation. Which is shocking to me. Uh, or rival anything that's ever been on TV, really. Um, just because they are so well written, so well acted, um, just incredibly well produced for the 60s. There were episodes of the original series that you're just like, really guys? You're doing that? So would you tell the folks at home, like, give it a chance? I, Star Trek is funny this way because there are some real bad episodes of Star Trek out there. And if you watch the wrong one, you will be turned off for your entire that life. That must have been what happened to me. I, I yeah. don't know. But also, I just might not be into that old TV. Like, I tried to watch the original Doctor Who stuff from, like, 50 years ago, and I yeah. just found it so incredibly boring. And I'm yeah. a big Whovian, but yeah. I'm a new Whovian. Like, I'm okay with that, you know? Like Yeah, totally. Like, but... <laughs> you know, Mad Max just came out, and I have been debating... Uh, we're going to go see it on Saturday. Yeah, we're, I'm going to see it again for the third time, yeah. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. So if you haven't seen it, go watch it because I have just been pumping my movie, my money into that movie. Well, yeah, I'm really excited yeah. to see it. <laughs> but I've never seen a Mad Max movie, and I gave serious consideration to waiting until I'd seen the originals to see the new one. I've decided I'm going to start with the new one. No, I yeah, get you don't need to do that. You yeah. should just watch the new ones. And I'm usually completist, but you know what? I only have so much time in the day. Yeah. <laughs> I want I want to be sold on Mad Max, and if I am, then I'm going to go back and watch the originals. Right. Uh, so, Star Trek Two comes out. Huge success. It spawns this franchise of movies that are wildly successful. Uh, Star Trek IV The Voyage Home is one of the coolest movies that's ever been made. Uh, the premise of this movie is that um, a probe comes like flies to earth from outer space and it's sending out this weird weird signal that is destroying the planet like inadvertently uh and they can't figure out how to talk to this probe until they figure out that it is sending whale song like the song whale? of whales yeah uh, whales like, the animal like whales whales okay. and whales have gone <laughs> extinct so they have to travel back in time to get whales to bring back to the future to talk to a space probe does that sound like the dumbest thing you've ever heard or what? That sounds so fucking stupid, right. and I want to watch it twice. It sounds so stupid, <laughs> and when I watched it for the first time, I was like, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> but then by the end of the movie, I was just, I forgot. I forgot yeah. that I thought it was crazy, because yeah. I was so into it, because it's so good. And like, it's like an 80s buddy comedy, you know? Like, seeing Kirk and Spock walk around in the 80s is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And it's it's one of my favorite movies and that movie... Where are they in the 80s? In San Francisco. I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's one of those movies that proves that if you, like, really lean into something with love and affection, you can just make anything sincerity. work. Sincerity. And sincerity. It's a, a very sincere sincerity. movie. sincerity. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. anyway, because these movies were so successful, Paramount decides to put Star Trek back on TV, naturally, you know, because you have to, because it's so successful. And there was a big, you know assumption that when you put Star Trek back on TV, it it's going be to Nemo be... and Shatner. Exactly. They actually right. tried to do that before they started making the movies. It was going to be Star Trek Phase 2. 
and then there was like a studio changeover and it just didn't happen. This, this Star Trek's history is very much tied to the history of like Paramount and then UPN, um, which is a Paramount network. Like right. uh, Enterprise was the show launcher for UPN. Um, when they launched UPN, like Enterprise was the flagship show, oh. which was the fifth Star Trek series, which I also love and don't think gets the credit it deserves. Although there is kind of like a turning of the tide going on. That's a whole other conversation. Whole I can other, try to stay focused That's a whole here. other episode. Uh, so, anyway, so Star Trek Phase 2 <laughs> doesn't happen. They make the movies. Uh, they couldn't put these guys back on TV because they were the biggest stars on the planet at that point. You know, like William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy. They couldn't afford to put them on TV. They're just too famous. Um, they just couldn't afford it. Too much money. So they decide to jump forward 100 years in the history of Starfleet and do a totally different show, which is such the right thing to do. You know, totally the right thing to do. But sounds crazy. Sounds crazy. And yeah. fans were pissed. <laughs> I bet they were. I would have been pissed. I would have been pissed. Furious. Off. Fans yeah. were so upset. And, I mean, if you talk to somebody who grew up on the original series, like, the next generation was, like, bullshit to them, you know, when it came out. Like, they just did not want to watch. Their Enterprise was the original Enterprise. None of this Enterprise D bullshit. You know, they didn't want to see it. They didn't want to see any captain except for Kirk. So that this show landed in a very hostile environment. Um but something really interesting happened with this show in that it landed in first-run syndication. Uh, wait, oh, you, you're in the TV world. Yeah, tell us about like, first-run syndication. Well, no, 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 no. I'm not that involved. I can't tell you that much. I work in reality TV. That's barely television. Yeah. That's not... <laughs> yeah, which is another reason why I want to do this with you. Syndication in general, though, is a big deal. Yeah. You know, I, it's I kind of like a teacher that. getting tenure. Yeah, exactly. That's That's how, you know... Anyway, continue. I'm sorry. Yeah. Can you can you explain succinctly what syndication means? <laughs> no, I means? really can't. I'm tell I tried to tell you this. I don't Well, okay, really... my understanding of it is that when you hit generally it's 100 episodes. When you mm-hmm. hit 100 episodes, that show can then be sold to other networks to be played anywhere anytime. Yeah, see, I didn't even know that you should be in TV. Well, that's my understanding. I don't yeah. know for sure. I mean, <laughs> everything that I say, I sound like I'm authoritative. I am very stupid it's just and I have because, a terrible memory. It's because you're so aggressive. I'm very aggressive. <laughs> I'm talking at you so aggressively. Yeah, I thought I was the guest, but you know, it's cool, whatever. We'll get there. Um, <laughs> okay, so it I love to, this though. This is magical. I agree. Guys, uh, just so you <laughs> There's know. There's magic in the room. There's, There's magic in the magic. room. I'm just like fascinated listening to all of this. I feel like I'm getting the world's coolest history lesson. Yeah, and this yeah. I I did I should have read up on this before. This is just all from memory of stuff that I've read right, on Wikipedia right. and so, Memory Alpha. So my you guys should website. comment uh, on the page, you know, and let everything us know. I get wrong. Yeah, everything that we get wrong. Uh, make sure you let us know. For example, that Abed Nadir quote from before. I realize that that's <laughs> from the gas leak year. I realize that we don't like that one. Fuck it. It was a pretty good episode. All right. Literally no idea what you're talking about. Don't worry, they do. Okay. Great. Uh, <laughs> they being probably my mom. Maybe Barton? I don't know. Don't worry. This is going to be big. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it lands in this hostile environment in first-run syndication, which means that basically the show is made without uh, a TV network in a way. Like, they're they're making the show for, I mean, Paramount, which is the studio – but it could they're making it so that they could sell it to be rerun exactly that's it that's exactly it it's just just like setting up some kind of franchise so they get to make what they want you know they don't have a network giving them notes a TV network giving them notes that I do know a lot about there is a movie studio network notes destroy TV programs that's something you really need to know yeah absolutely (laughs) Uh, I just listened to I'm I'm a big fan of uh Kevin Smith's podcast, Fat Man on Batman. Oh, I haven't listened to that. It's great. He was talking to Diedrich Bader, who played uh, Batman in uh, Batman Brave and Bold. 
And he was talking about being on the Drew Carey show and getting notes from the network, and they were just crazy talk. Like, yeah. He's like, how could you possibly put that on television? We can't do it. And it's just this constant back and forth between Drew Carey and the network about trying to, like, rain down their craziness because they're, like, looking at demographic reports. Yeah, and exactly. All but... this stuff. And they think they know what America wants. Um, but yeah. the person, the people who know what America wants, in my opinion, are are very special artists. You know, mm-hmm. artists who are looking into the future of trends and not into what's happening now. Like, they're, they're seeing what... Trendsetters. Trendsetters, yeah. Like, if I look into, you know, where is this country going? Like, what's big now? What's happening next? What type of story needs to be told to move the country forward, to move society forward? Those are the people that need to be given free reign to make television shows. And in the case of Star Trek The Next Generation, I really think that that happened. I, I think that that started in season three, um... Because there was this like huge shakeup in the show after season two. There had been a huge writer strike in season two. Whole new writing staff, a uh, lead um, showrunner in season three that came on that hadn't been on before, um, oh, or well, hadn't been the showrunner before. Right. Uh, well, I, I guess that's not necessarily true. Rick Berman was always around, but uh, Gene Roddenberry had the reins in season one. Gene Roddenberry, who created Star Trek, and due to ailing health and a variety of factors, uh, Rick Berman becomes like the man who's running Star Trek. For a long, long, like 20 years. He ran Star Trek for 20 years on TV. And then uh, Michael Piller comes in as the lead writer in season three. And he'd never been on Which the show Which apparently before. it was a good thing. Oh, great thing. Yeah, Michael because, Piller is amazing. Yeah. Sorry, no, no, no. I'm just saying, like, as much as I was saying I liked the first season a lot because it kept me watching, uh, there really was a sea change by season three. And it was just, like, yeah. crazy. Just crazy good. Crazy good. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm in tears, like, oh, half absolutely. the time. Yeah. yeah. And that's in large part due to Michael Piller, whose, like, like modus operandi on the show was, you know, what what's actually going on? Like, we're telling these crazy sci-fi stories, but, like, what is the emotional content? What are we trying to say he emotionally? the humanity to it. Right. Which is really, at the core, you know, what Star Trek is about. Yes. Star Trek, yeah, absolutely. It is an exploration yeah. of humanity. It's, and, but, and which they literally say, but you don't consider what that means. You know what I mean? Like, um, their their whole point is to explore worlds that have never been to go where no one has gone before. You know, yeah. and and um, and they're really just that's I think literally what the program is doing. Yeah, what the TV program. Is but doing. a lot of it is yeah. emotional and philosophical. Yeah, absolutely. I love how you keep turning around to put the cup down, but there's like a nice book there, and you just I can't know. put it down. There is. It's a gorgeous it's Buffy book. Yeah. All right, this tea that we're drinking. So we're drinking. Tell us about this tea. We're drinking some Mr. good Mercury. stuff. We're drinking some like Woodenville whiskey, local whiskey. Yeah, which I'm sure you can tell is starting to affect me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we're drinking this awesome tea. This is a. Uh, Fuller's Mortal and Pestle. B. Fuller's Mortal and Pestle. It's a Fremont company mm-hmm. in Seattle, um, in, in Fremont. And I just discovered them at the um, Folklife Festival. And I picked up like a sampler of mm. all their herbal teas. And it's just like it's nuts. It's got like, um, c- and, like citrusy hints to it. Yeah, we're drinking straight from the fridge. It's an herbal tisane. Ingredients are hibiscus, spearmint, alfalfa, lemon, havana, ah, rose hips, orange peel, and cinnamon. Holy shit. It's really good. It's quite a cornucopia of flavors. Every, everything I've tried from the sample pack has been I'm, awesome. I'm really liking this tea, but I think I'm going to go back to the whiskey. Yeah, they're both here. And we yeah. have chocolate from Trader Joe's, another local company. <laughs> Is no, it I'm just local? I what? Know, I was like, wait a second. I think they're Are from they California. From... Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, okay, so Star Trek lands. Star Trek The Next Generation lands, and people are just very upset. Uh, 
People are also very upset that there's a bald captain. It was a big deal. And it was actually, like, a huge step forward in, like, men being bald, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was actually, like, a lot of talk at the network about, can we put a man in the future in charge of a starship who's bald? And the answer was, absolutely, if it's this. Patrick fucking Stewart, right? But but why, but tell them why it matters. Like, why, what would, you know, in the future... In the future... I, I think surely they've cured baldness exactly, in the future. Exactly. But but who cares? In the future, baldness doesn't matter. Right. I just love that. Yeah, I think that <laughs> I is love that. that is the message that it sends. <laughs> uh, I mean, Star Trek is a very elevated future. It is. They've like, moved beyond money. Yes. Yeah, they've moved beyond such you know petty constructs of today's society. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the <laughs> ultimate in human society. Yeah. They. It's, it's like, not cool to not be an enlightened person, you know? To not be, like, a thoughtful, competent, enlightened person. Like, that's what is expected of everyone because people don't work for money, you know? They work for self-improvement and self-betterment. If you join Starfleet, it's because you want to explore the stars and you want to add something to, uh, to history. You want to add something to society. You want to protect humanity. You want to meet other cultures. I would join Starfleet in a second. I am all over that shit. I just want that cool jumpsuit. It's a sweet jumpsuit. Yeah. I have one, but it's short shorts and short sleeves. It's not... It's, it's not the it's same. It's not canon, dude. But it looks great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, him, him being bald was a big deal. He's also supposed to be... Captain Picard is supposed to be French, but he speaks with an English accent. And their the reasoning for that was that French was a dead language in the future. Uh, and that, you know... I mean, the English accent apparently prevailed. <laughs> I don't know. God bless the queen. Yeah, but there are screen tests where they put Patrick Stewart in fake hair to see what he I would look like. I don't think I've seen those. Oh, it's maybe creepy. I have. It's I don't creepy. know. I don't like it. Maybe I blocked it out of my memory. Don't like it at it's all. Weird. Yeah. I mean, Patrick Stewart is. Uh, He's a gentleman and a baller. He is such a baller. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if anyone is responsible for that show taking off, I would argue that it's Patrick Stewart. The, the like his leadership just as a Shakespearean actor and as, like, a real actor, like, his gravitas. Yeah, I love when he gets angry. It does oh, something yeah. to my pants. It's very tingly when yeah. he gets angry. <laughs> um, so the show had a really hard time at first because people really hated on it, but it was just so goddamn good. Uh, it really proved itself. It won over its own audience. By the time it went off the air, uh, there was, I mean, the whole Kirk-Spock debate, like, there's no answer to that now. They used to be, like... Kirk Spock debate, what am I saying? Kirk Picard debate, yeah, you know, yeah. like which captain is better. That debate um, used to be incredibly one-sided until you get a few years of Picard under your belt and you're like, you know what? I don't know. Picard might I be just a better captain. don't know anymore. Uh, and the answer <laughs> is that, you know, neither is a better captain. Like, they're both wonderful captains. But obviously Picard is a better captain. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, <laughs> Apparently there's an answer to that. There's then. an answer yeah. to that. Um, According to Jesse Mercury. So the show... I mean, he's my captain, you know? And that's the answer is, who is your captain? Who did you grow up with? That's yeah. your captain. Like, whoever... <laughs> whichever captain sold you on the show is going to be your captain. And I know people that it's Cisco. I know people that it's Janeway. I know people that... I don't really know anybody that it's Archer, but that's okay. I you don't know, know what I'm talking about. I don't about. know what he's talking about, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Um, I, I, so the point of me being here is that I'm seeing this through fresh eyes as a 30-year-old woman... Yes. ...who's never even touched Star Trek... You yes. Know, so, so this is all very new and wonderful to me, and I'm I'm full of I'm 
starry-eyed and just really into it now. The other reason um, that you're here is that you used to work in reality television, and you have an incredibly sharp eye for TV. Like, when we watch TV shows together, you'll, like, pick out shots. You'll, do you'll, I? Really? Oh, yeah. No, it's great. I love it. I do that shit, too. I you talk realize. about. I I mean, I guess so. <laughs> like, we'll, we'll watch an episode, I, and then you'll talk about I want you to know that shot. I am in no means, you know, like, an expert. You know, I'm by, you know, I, I mean, what no, does that even mean? I'm just saying that you have like a good eye for watching television. Yeah. Well, there are certain things like there was an episode where you knew that there was an entity on board simply because of the way it was shot. Yeah. It like turned to a handheld camera and suddenly we were kind of in everyone's personal space and it was really weird and I felt very closed in and panicky and I knew that there was something else there. Yeah. You know, and, and there, you know, it is a beautifully shot show and I think that that's probably underappreciated when it comes to the Star Trek TNG universe, you know? Yeah, and you are um, also very up on your tropes, and, you know, <laughs> you're very up on, like, the general arc of an episode of television. <laughs> That's just because I watch a shitload of TV. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would consider myself the same with yeah. no formal training. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so eventually the show just develops, like, the biggest fan base ever, and now I would argue that this show is responsible for most of the great TV that we've had in the last few mm. years, particularly Lost. That's one thing that I noticed uh, watching this this time around. Um, this time around, what am I saying? Watching this for the first time. Yeah. Um, it made me realize how many of the tropes that I've become used to have actually come from this show. Absolutely. Um, I'm like, I am watching the original of, like, that whale song thing. They did something like that in Futurama. There was, like, this inadvertent sound that was harming the planet. Yeah. You know, and when you were just telling me, I was like, oh, <laughs> that must be where that comes from. You know. Futurama people love their Star Trek. They really do. They really Leonard do. Nimoy has been on it several yeah. times. They do a great job of paying yeah. homage to Star Trek. Yeah. I love Futurama. Me too. Uh, um, but but I see these tropes now in, in the show, and I know how it's going to end, but it doesn't ruin it for me, because for me, it's this amazing history of television where yeah. I'm like, oh, this is where that came from. That's amazing. Yeah, I totally. Just, I love it. Uh, I love it. And I've listened to, uh, I have a very conflicted relationship with Lost. Um, Lost was really great for the first season. Yeah, I think the first season of Lost yeah. rivals anything that's ever been on TV. I think it's just wonderful. Uh, and I, you know, I think that Damon Lindelof has a lot of brilliance in his in his little mind. Um, and has, <laughs> I think he has a tendency to I just feel like he kind of gave out. up, though. Like... I don't think he gave up. I think, <laughs> I think he psyched himself out. I think that maybe he crumbled a little bit under the pressure of, living up to the expectations that he'd set. Because he set the highest expectations of... Any, I'm giving him the credit for everything on Lost, and that's obviously not true. But um, him and... I mean, he was the... Like, there was a showrunner from the very beginning. Carlton Cuse came on in season two as a showrunner um, and had a lot to do with it. I, I'm getting off topic here. Anyway, <laughs> well, the point I'm trying to make is that uh, I've listened to some podcasts with Damon Lindelof, and he talked a lot about Next Generation being, like, his model for how to make good TV. Particularly the last episode ever of Next Generation. Um, Ooh, don't say anything. I I'll say nothing besides it. the fact that uh, it is like held as this like beacon of television. It's just wonderful, oh. wonderful. Like I'm, I'm getting a little like choked up just thinking <laughs> about that episode. So and and I've read similar things from other showrunners where they point to Next Generation as the show that made them want to make TV. So our current crop of showrunners are people that kind of came up with Next Generation. And then, I mean, look at Ronald D. Moore, who's run several of the most popular shows in the last decade. I mean, he ran Battlestar Galactica. He got his start as oh, a writer man. on Star Trek The Next Generation. I didn't know that. Yeah. You're a way better nerd than I am. I, I um, I'm 
I'm a bad nerd, but I mean, I'm matter. a I'm a next generation nerd. Like this is my shit. I just I loved I I loved the first few seasons of Battlestar. The, yeah, the new run of it. Oh, so good. Some of the best like sci-fi television I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, I, and and a Mexican uh, a Mexican taking a lead role was kind of a big deal. Oh, for cool! Because I grew up Mexican. Yeah. So like, until you knew you were half Italian. <laughs> yeah. Until yeah. I found out I was half Italian. That's cool. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, say what you will about Edward James Olmos. Oh, he's the best. He is a I bad love him. Bitch. He's, he's, he's a, awesome. He's a bad motherfucker. He, yeah, dude, I love that guy. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> he's fantastic. And Blade yeah. Runner, when you see him as a young man, you just like want to fuck his brains out. I've never seen. Blade he's adorable. Runner. Folks, he's put his hand over his his mouth and he's just looking at me in horror. No, no, no. I'm looking at you. So, okay. The whole idea that having not seen something makes you less of a person is stupid. Like, it's stupid. I'm looking at you because I'm like, oh my God, you get to see Blade Runner for the first time. Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Really cool. Blade Runner. And you have the opportunity to see the right version of Blade Runner. We'll talk about this later. Yeah. We'll Blade talk. Runner. We'll talk. Oh, Blade Runner. Okay. Now I'm excited. God damn it, I'm off topic again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to dive into Next Generation a little bit. We're going to talk about the characters, and we're going to talk about the first season, and uh, and then we're going to shut the fuck up. But it's going to be a while. I think, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be a while. I think if this is any indication, some of this down. This introduction, any indication. Uh, so, Next Generation, for the Did first you, time. I heard that there was chocolate. There's chocolate. Okay, Audrey, you're watching the first episode for the first time. Encounter at Farpoint. What are you thinking as you go into this episode? Okay, so my first... I was struggling in the first episode uh, just because there's a lot of hype that surrounds Star Trek, and it's really difficult for me. Like, I'm not the kind of person that watches... I don't watch trailers, for example. I don't watch full trailers ever. I only watch teasers, and then I decide if I'm going to watch a movie or not. Um, I don't like knowing too much... About That's a world. the sound of chocolate being opened. Yes, it's go. it's the pound of chocolate bar from Trader, Trader Joe's, Joe's with almonds. The pound it. of chocolate lasts me maybe a week. Mm. And, now, and now you can't tell me what you think about Star Trek. Okay, sorry. There's chocolate <laughs> in my mouth. He brought out the chocolate, folks. Um, Do you like this tea? It's very good. It's very good. Mm. I mean, I'm still drinking the whiskey, but um, mm. it's good tea. Anyway. It was difficult. It was kind of a struggle, to be honest, just because it was hard for me to immerse myself in the world because I was constantly thinking about what I was looking at and what people had told me. And it wasn't so much that they had told me a lot about the story. I just knew that the expectations were high. Yeah. And I was like, do I actually like it or do I feel like I have to like it? Like, it was really difficult for me to tell because Mm. it's just... For me, it's just very difficult. Like that's why I have to keep myself so isolated when it comes to movies and, and television and stuff. Like I don't read any behind-the-scenes stuff for, for Doctor Who or anything or, or Community because it takes me out of the world. Yeah. So, um, so the first episode was really difficult at first to bite into, but it was a two-parter, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was basically like a TV movie. But right. it, it's on, I think on Netflix it is in two right. parts. I do love how Let's they, they, I, yeah, I believe it was a two part. No, it's, it's one. It's oh, in really? one part. Oh, it's parts one minutes. and two. Purist. Okay. I love it. Good work, Netflix. Um, yeah, good work, Netflix. Um, I love Netflix. Netflix is my boo. I um, love Netflix. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh. My point the is, the show is, that is in no way endorsed by Netflix. It we isn't. Just love Netflix, but if they want to give us money, like we're cool with well, it. This show is endorsed by nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, my point is, is that it was really difficult. I really like how they introduced Riker. 
Mm-hmm. I really liked that whole dynamic, but it was just kind of rushed because I've seen so much TV. I was all like, he's going to come in and he's going to do something impressive to make right. Jean-Luc like, like him all of a sudden. And then yeah. like, they're going to go and explore the stars. Great. You know, um, so actually, to be honest, the first episode, you know, it didn't fall flat for me. I just didn't know what to think. It's you a know? weird It's weird because they're shoehorning in a lot of stuff to set up an entire series. Yeah. You know, so, um, which is, you know, understandable. I think... Which is why I never judge an entire series on the first few episodes. I always give it a whole season because I'm a completist like that. that, Because it takes a long time to set up characters and stories. That is big of you. Um, I will say that if I had watched the first episode of the show, I'm... Like, at, if a pilot doesn't sell me, I usually stop. I can't do that. Pilots are not a good job. Working yeah. in television, especially, here's here's my experience. Okay. Working in television, especially, you cannot judge a, an entire series by a pilot. You just can't. Yeah. Because by the time the network has gone in on it, they, like, run it through the ringer. They want it to be really snappy. They want everything to be set up for the common American idiot. <laughs> you know, is this going to get America off its tractors? I don't know. You know, like, and they really fuck with it. So, like, um, you just really can't trust a pilot to, to, to set up a good series. You just can't. So uh, I I never judge anything by the pilot. I watch okay. a pilot, and then I watch at least four more episodes, probably. Yeah. Um, and most of the time, I'll watch an entire season. Because yeah. it just takes that long to set up a really great cast yeah. and a really great story. What I will normally do is, like, if a pilot doesn't catch me, I will wait to hear what the consensus is from my friends. Mm-hmm. And if they if they can Well, you're just letting me, them put in all the work for you. Well, I just have friends I'm with, I'm the friend that puts in that work. I have friends I'm, with exquisite taste in television also. Right. Like uh BoJack Horseman is a great example. I watched the pilot, hated it. Mm-hmm. Put it down. A couple friends told me you got to go back and watch it again. I loved every other episode of that mm-hmm. show. That show was I'm like I'm sorry, I love you guys, but I don't trust any of you. Dude, that show was like a crescendo into like wonderfulness. I loved it. It was wonderful. But the first episode, I, I just, the jokes kind of fell flat to me. Um, like the, it's such a different world. I think it took me a little bit to get used to it. Right. I haven't even seen it. Even Arrested Development's another great example where you have to learn the uh, the cadence of the show to get mm-hmm. the jokes. That's another thing. Yeah. That's another thing. So, um, so I don't know. Uh, so unless it's like a one of those twenty two episode seasons, I'm probably going to watch an entire season before yeah. I decide I well, like good for it you. Or a show or not. Because That's great. It just, I just know how the process is, and sometimes it just takes a while to really set into a group of characters. And that's exactly what happened with Star Trek. The, f- the first season isn't bad, it's great, but uh, you don't really realize that until you're well into the second season. Yeah. And I watched it in, in like a jumbled order as a kid, where. Right. You that's know, a totally different experience, too. Right. Because, you know, it's on TV, yeah. I catch it when I can, I'm mm-hmm. too young to understand TV schedules. Star Trek's on, I'm excited, you know? What time is Star Trek on? I want to watch Star Trek. There was a point in my life when Star Trek was in syndication, and it was on two different channels an hour apart. So I'd watch two episodes of Star Trek a night, and they were not in continuity, you know, because they were on completely different channels. Right. So, like, I don't even know if they were in the same season. I I had no concept of what seasons were when I was a kid. Uh, It was just something that when it was on, I would watch it, like American Gladiators or Captain Planet. Oh, man, American (laughs) Gladiators. I haven't thought about that in forever. Oh, I love that show. Can we please... Set up an American Gladiators type of like obstacle course for a music, <laughs> for a music video. Ooh, <laughs> I think that'd yeah, be cool. Yeah, that's a good idea. I just want to do the thing where they're like, 
you know, like on a, uh, like the fucking beam that the gymnasts are on or whatever. And like, they're trying yeah. to knock each other off with those big, that's like, a great idea. <laughs> we should interject that me and Audrey are starting a new band together. We're doing this, uh, like kind of pop rock punkish band. That's all about the point is that fashion. we're fabulous. We're, yeah. It's a fabulous band. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Um, but that's a great idea. I'm, I'm flashing a little thigh to our audience, but uh, they can't see it. They can't see that. That's okay. Keep going. Okay. So, I totally forgot what I was going to say. There's so <laughs> much thigh. <laughs> um, so, from a first from a first timer's perspective, tell me your impression of the characters. So, we have eight main characters in season, or is it nine in season one? I can tell you that the first character because Wesley and it's Wesley's changed. Main character. It's changed for me. You know, yeah. um, like my favorite characters are not the same favorite characters yeah. that I had. In well, the let's go season. down the list. Episode one: Who was Captain Picard? To you, first time. Never seen him before. I'm really he curious about exactly this. He was exactly who I thought he was going to be. Just like a hard-ass captain? Hard-ass captain with a heart of gold, probably. Like, yeah. I feel like I heart always... Heart of gold, fe- probably. No, well, I didn't know him yet, but I'm just saying, like, he's... I got the impression that he has very strong morals. I love those kinds of characters. Mm-hmm. That those, um, he's a lawful good character. Lawful good, yeah. Yeah, and and I really, I really like that in a character. He has a very strong moral compass, and I, I really responded to that. Yeah, Riker's kind of more of a chaotic good character, though. Absolutely, those are always my favorite characters. That's yeah. everyone's favorite character is chaotic good. And they really, so, they so shifted my, both of those over the course of the show <laughs> to meet in the center. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, because they both have, they're, they're both a little lawful, you know, but like, um, but Riker is definitely out of the two, he's, he's the chaotic good one. And, and like, I, my first favorite character was Riker. Like, yeah. he was always just this like baller, like cocky bastard. Yeah. And I just love that kind of guy. I just really respond to that. So he was immediately like my first favorite character. That's since changed. I have a mm-hmm. much different favorite character now. And he has changed but tremendously. I actually think... He has, and he's still wonderful. Yeah. I still love... I love everyone in this cast. Even Wesley. People love to hate on Wesley. Every time I see stuff about Wesley, people are hating on him. I love Wesley. I love Wesley in season one. Uh, I really like him as a kid. I, I, just like, I just think he gets better and better. Really? Yeah. To me, I, I start to struggle with Wesley when he... Uh, I mean, every once in a while, Wesley can save the ship because he's a, a savant. Yeah. And I'll buy it because the episode with the Traveler in season one is like my favorite episode. Right. Where, and this thing that I really, really, really responded to with Wesley, and the reason he was, I, I as a kid, I identified with Wesley, you know, because like I was a kid and I was always really good at music as a kid. And then I was like made fun of for it by people, you know, like they didn't want to be friends with me because like, I don't know, maybe they were jealous or something, but <laughs> they started an I Hate Jesse club. Yeah, that's... Like, that literally happened. That's some bullshit right yeah. there. Um, fuckers. I mean, also, suck. to be fair, I was a little bit of a prick. I mean, I was kind of... I know what that's like. Yeah. I was an asshole in high school about being a good singer, and I was... I just I thought fucked, it was I shit. was a dick about it, like, yeah. and I didn't have a lot of friends. I mean, no, that's not true. I did have a lot of friends, but they were all, like, in the arts program with me, so... But, like, in normal high school, though, yeah. not a lot of friends that were outside of the theater and music program, like, so... Yeah. They all hated me in choir and stuff, and I was super... I was such a Rachel Berry about it for our friends who, who watch Glee out there. Yeah. I, was, I was a lot like Rachel Berry. I should, we should say Wesley is the son of um, the chief medical officer, Dr. Crusher. Who is a sultry minx. Who's wonderful. Um, um, and and that's, that was my entire impression of her. She didn't really have a character in the first the season. Sultry minx. She was just a sultry yeah. minx. I just loved her voice and her mouth. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, <laughs> I mean, she's, 
wonderful. She becomes one of the best characters ever. Yeah. We'll talk about her when we get to season yeah. three. Yeah, when she, we can talk about her later when she has when more she of a really character. really blossoms. Yeah. But in season one, she's kind of this like ambiguous romantic foil for Captain yeah. Picard. Yeah, she was just a woman in a TV show. Yeah. And she's like, and she's a mother, yeah. you know? Yeah. So she's kind of that shoehorned. Is, that is unique, though. She was a mother on screen, and that's that. Yeah. I thought that was very interesting and different, that she had a son. And like, yeah. but not only did she have a son, she was also a romantic interest. Yeah. You know? Uh, that that like, was new, but that's part of the whole elevated future that is Star Trek, I think. I feel like she was maybe kind of done a disservice in season one by just being a mother and romantic foil. Like she wasn't. Really oh, her absolutely. Own I'm just saying that yeah. that's one. Th- that's why I didn't ca- care about her. At all. I see. I see. Yeah. That's why. That's why I didn't care about her because she was like, oh, she's a mother and a romantic person. That's it. She doesn't have a character. Yeah. I'm just saying that to its credit, at least there was a mother. Yeah. Who was a romantic character. And a, work, a mother who is <laughs> a in charge. A working mother who is a romantic character. She's the only yeah. person who so can that, remove the captain from command yeah. on the whole ship. Because the only and she time will that do happen, it if she and, has to. Oh, yeah, she and will. She, only, she has. And, she, and she'll only do it when it's actually necessary. You right. know, she doesn't just go, get on her period and then decide to use her power. <laughs> you know, But that's what I think about male writers in this age. So yeah. I'm just saying, like, although the, although she was just a woman who was like... You know, a romantic interest. Yeah. There were a few things that were a little bit on the groundbreaking side, cool. as far as she's concerned. You know, so I was slightly impressed with that. But she, ultimately, she was a sultry minx who was there to be. Yeah. You know, they did her a disservice. Uh, she ended up a being replaced character. in season two mm-hmm. by someone who the fans hated, who I loved. I actually really liked Dr. Pulaski. Yeah, she was cool. High five. Yeah, yeah. I um, was like, I mean, she's no Doctor Crusher. No, no, but, but she, was, she great. was. She held her own. And she did her thing, and she was awesome at it. I really enjoyed her episodes, and I liked her and Data. Yeah, her and Data had a yeah. really wonderful relationship because she was like racist against androids, and yeah, she didn't know she it. Was, yeah, I mean that is racism. But she didn't think that it was racism because they're not humans, and that is racism. And that's racism. That's exactly what racism. Yeah. Is. So season two, because of that relationship, got into some wonderful territory yeah. as far as like... We're not here to talk about season two, okay, though. Okay, you're right. Yeah. That's a great point. Uh, okay, so uh, we're talking about the main characters. So Wesley is the, the son of Dr. Crusher, who's the chief medical officer. Wesley is this um, savant who's just like brilliant, and he's brilliant in the fields of the instruments of the ship. And they meet this character later on in the season named The Traveler, who's kind of this trans-dimensional being who exists outside of our own, like, idea of matter and energy and consciousness. And he can change his own environment based off of his thoughts because he's realized, his, his race has realized that energy and matter are interchangeable and thoughts are energy, you know? Wonderful stuff. I mean, yeah. this episode, if someone asked me, like, what's the first episode of Star Trek I should watch? I would probably say Where No, one, where no Man Has Gone Before. Season one, the episode with the Traveler. I, I, I disagree. Really? I disagree. Would I don't you know. say episode one? I No. Good. Not necessarily. Well, I think episode one I does would, not set the show up very well. I would say episode one just because of the way I watch TV. However. Right. And, um, I, and I agree with you. And yeah. if it were me, I would start episode one. But yeah. I'm thinking like. However, I, and I don't know which one I would pick. I would have to look through this, this list uh, right now. But I know that it wouldn't be that one just because the pacing of it from a writer's standpoint. Like, not a writer's standpoint. From a viewer's standpoint, I feel like the Traveler one is, um, what's it called again? 
Where no man has gone before. Where no man has gone before. Or where no one has gone before. Where, oh yeah, sorry. They but, changed that for yeah, next generation. Yeah, to, I did know that. In the original series, yeah. it was no man. They changed it to no one. Um, but uh, I just feel like the pacing for it isn't right to get somebody sucked into a television show. It's got some really great the- thematic stuff happening in it. It's got some amazing points, you know, that really make you think. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's how you get someone sucked into a show. Okay, you sold me. Yeah. Um, but my, uh, my favorite moment of that episode is, so this, this travel character who is like the guest star on this episode um, pulls Captain Picard aside at one point and says, because Captain Picard has always been kind of harsh with Wesley. He doesn't like kids. He doesn't like Wesley being on the bridge. I loved that. I like that too. I really loved that. Yeah. And then the travel pulls him aside and says like, Wesley is, the, is what I'm looking for. Like I am just kind of exploring your whole reality, looking for people like Wesley who have an intrinsic understanding um, of the universe, which Wesley has. And, and it manifests through, like, his understanding of the ship and of, like, propulsion, like, warp fields, warp bubbles, all this kind of cool futuristic yeah. stuff. And he compares him to Mozart. He says that Wesley is like... I do remember that, yeah. Yeah, Wesley is like Mozart, but for the instruments of this ship. And that episode just, like, man, it just made me feel like if you have something special inside of yourself then you just fucking pursue it, you know? Like, you do it. You just do it. You don't care what anyone else thinks. And when I was a kid, I knew that I was really good at music, and I was having trouble, well, mostly because of my own fault, because I was, like, kind of, like, you know, I didn't know how to not show off, right? So (laughs) I'm having all these people, like, hating me because I was good at music. I recognize now it was my own fault, but at the time, that episode gave me kind of the, the courage to continue to pursue music. Um, I mean, the other thing they could have done it would be me not being a dick to other people, but I learned that later <laughs> through other means. Yeah, um, that took me a while. Yeah, but I mean, I just took something so profound from that episode that really, really affected my life. It's, and so when amazing. I wrote that episode, or when I wrote the song The Traveler, which I just recorded recently, like, that song is my, like, pop anthem, you know? And it ends with Believe in Yourself. Right. And if you told me 10 years ago I'd be writing a song where there was a, a lyric that was Believe in Yourself, I would laugh in your face. I think that you were crazy. <laughs> If you told me that two years ago, I'd laugh in your face. But in that song, it works. And and I know it works because I fucking believe in it, you know? Right. Uh, and the song is all about, like, gallivanting through the stars as a being of pure energy. And it's it's wonderful. It's, like, so much fun. And it's all based off of the feeling that I got as a kid when I watched that episode and just fell in love with the idea of this future, you know, where you could be who you wanted to be because you believed in yourself very powerful right i have a lot to say about that theme but this that's for a different podcast because when we make you start watching doctor who i'm gonna put you through this whole thing yeah you've outed me um, i've only seen like six episodes ever of doctor who um so i do have a lot to say about that but i can't say that that happened for me in in season one um season like i said season one i was still kind of just figuring everything out yeah Um, what was your take on Worf season one Worf was one of the more interesting characters. Okay. Worf is the Klingon. He's like... Yeah. He's the other, basically. I really... Well, I, there's a couple of others on the show. Like, Star Trek always sets up people who are from a different culture, a different race, mm-hmm. who are a part of the crew, who... And, and that's how you kind of learn about not only other cultures, but about humanity. About humanity. It's really the there to highlight... Hu- the, yeah. You know, the di- you know and it's really there to highlight humanity. I say that Worf is the other. I mean, Data was the other, you know? Data's the other other. The other other. He's, like, Data he's, yeah. is this show's answer to Spock. Because, because yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, he's, the, he's the new Spock. But, like, um, 
the thing about Worf, you know, he's the other in, in as much as like we can relate to him as somebody who might be from a different country. Yeah. You know, but like. Uh, he has like a vagina on his forehead. <laughs> I'm totally into that. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, what's it called? Um, I really just, you know, it's. He, for me in the first season, I did like his character a lot. Uh-huh. Um, it really highlights us as human beings for sure. But uh, it, it was just kind of two dimensional. For me. It was. It yeah. was very two-dimensional. I'm like, all I right, he's a warrior. I do things for honor. Yeah. Honor is everything. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And they didn't really start to fold in more dimensions to yeah. Worf until season three. And they, and they get really great. Really they great. Really, really great by um, season three. Season three is just, oh. Yeah. Mwah, I, I, I think that season three through seven are all just so, so good. I'm, I think I'm in... You're in four. Four, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's hard for me to tell because of Netflix. It's just kind of like blended everything. Just because yeah. it's constant watching, you know. Yeah. Like, um, totally. Scroll down a little bit here. Let me take a look here. Well, let's get through the characters first. Oh, okay. Um, so we got so Data. T- tell me about Data from an Outsider. Okay, so I just want to say I know that we're not here to talk about anything past season one. However, I just need to say that Data is officially he has become my favorite character in the entire series. As he should. He is my favorite character. Yeah. I like officially. Like it took yeah. me a long time, but I was like, you know what? I fucking love Data. Yeah. I want to make love to him. <laughs> I want. <laughs> I want to like be him. I want to know him. I want to be his best friend. Yeah. Um. But, uh, so, and I always loved Data, though. I really always did. But, um, but, uh, in the first season, I didn't really have much of an opinion on him. Like I said, the first season for me was very difficult. Um, actually, that's not true. Because the first season, my first favorite character was Riker, and then it grew to be Tasha. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that's a can of worms. Yeah, I really love Tasha, and when... Things happened, and I well, just... I mean, I'm gonna post a spoiler warning. Okay, Which, so spoiler warning. I was so upset, dude. I literally yeah. cried. Yeah, I literally Man, cried. I can't even imagine not knowing. I didn't that know. Tashi I had no idea. And then when she died, I was like, "People don't die. This is the '80s. People don't yeah. die in TV shows. It's ridiculous." And then she was actually dead. Right. And I was like, "Are you?" Are it you, is, get the fuck out of here. Are you kidding me? It is such an important moment in the history of oh all my, Star Trek. I'm getting like yeah. <laughs> joked up already. Just Like Star I Trek had been her. around for what, like 15, 20 years at that point? They'd never killed a main character. Oh my well, god. Well, they had, but it had never been real. It was you know? ne- it's never a real death. They didn't yeah. do that in TV. They didn't. Not until Joss Whedon came along. Yeah, and then <laughs> everyone's dead. Yeah. No, everyone dies. But like uh, so Tasha but, is the chief of security in season one. And she lasts for most of the season, uh, and her character was killed in the most like flippant way possible. I just couldn't believe it. Yeah. It was literally like uh, my jaw dropped, and I was like, "This can't be real." That episode is so divisive. I adore that episode. I think <laughs> that I think that killing off main characters is vital to the life of a show. Like absolutely vital. It is beautiful when it happens. I'm not going to yeah. say that it isn't. It doesn't make it any less devastating. Devastating. But, Absolutely. But, uh, but yeah. And, uh, you know, there were probably outside reasons why the why the, why the, there were. the actor had to leave. That's the only reason that I could think of. 
Do you want to like, know? She, yes, absolutely. Okay. But that's the only reason I could think of because I know TV writing and I know, you know, I've seen yeah. enough TV in that from that time period to know that they don't just kill off a character randomly like right. that. You know what I mean? They do now because it's shocking and it makes right. you feel, you right. know, but they learned it from that. Yeah, so like yeah, maybe yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah, it's a big moment. So like, like I, I figured something must have been going on with that actress or something. Yeah. But, well, the um, the gist of the story is that Denise Crosby, who played Tasha Yar, was just dissatisfied with the direction of her character and wanted to leave the show. That is kind of like the the main line that has been fed. Mm-hmm. Um, that she felt like her character wasn't getting enough screen time, wasn't developed enough, um, and it just wasn't going to advance her career the way that she wanted it to. There are other theories out there, but that's the one that is prevailing. And the reason that I think that there is probably a lot of truth to that uh, is because she does come back. You know, mm-hmm. the actress comes back. The character doesn't come back. No, but the actress does. The actress comes back a couple and times. And I always love it when she does, because she's great. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. She does, like, guest appearances, you know, through, like, various different plot devices. But mm-hmm. Tasha Yar died in season one. And that resonates throughout the entire course of the seven-year run. I do run. love that they don't just ignore that she died and then right. act like she was never there. Although I will say that the very next episode, it's like business as usual, and it kills me every time I watch through the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, there's a lot of reasons behind that. I mean, Gene Roddenberry set rules for the Star Trek universe when he created it, which was anyone who drops in on this show any week should be able to watch for the first time and know what's going on. Uh, which... Used Which to be made the way. sense when you could only watch TV on TV. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think the whole idea of having like a serialized show like Lost is is relatively modern. I would argue that it like in a big way started with Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which became heavily serialized, which is the first Star Trek to do that. Uh, and the seeds of it were planted in the Next Generation. When Next Generation will, as it goes along, will start to reference stuff more and more that happened earlier on, where people would be more and more confused if they hadn't seen the earlier episodes. Mm-hmm. But those are the best episodes, you know, because you're building on something, you can go to the next level. I think that's what they started to realize in Next Generation, is right. that if you have a foundation, you can jump to another level. Of course, then shows go completely off the rails with that, where if you if you drop into Lost in Season 5, you're just like... I have no idea what's going on. Like, what the yeah. fuck is happening, <laughs> you know? So there's a balance in there that needs to be struck. I love serialized shows... Um, but I do love the balance of it. And I think that Next Generation maybe, you know, has one of my favorite balances of serialization. Except for that one moment where they kill Tasha Yar and then the next episode they're just like, Captain's Log, we're flying yeah. through space and all is well. <laughs> and I just like get so upset yeah. by that. They, yeah. I mean, they reference it. They bring it back. Season two, one of the most heartbreaking moments of the whole show is when Data, the android who has no emotions... They look through his personal effects, and he and has he a hologram, has of, hologram Tasha of Tasha. That broke Kills my me. heart. Kills me. Broke my heart. Because he. But it's one of my favorite moments. Of yeah. His, when he's just yeah. watching it, you know. It's amazing, and and I don't believe for a second that he's in feelings. I yeah, don't care I mean, what that's anyone a great says. Conversation. I don't. I don't. I don't care what anyone says, even in the show. Um, I, I think that he's always had some form of feeling. Yeah. You know, maybe it's not with the viv, you know, it's maybe it's not as vivacious or whatever the word is. Maybe it's not as vivid as it is with like an actual human being. Yeah. But um but there's something akin to feelings there, you know. Yeah. And I I think they talk about it in wait, what what season was that in when he has his daughter? Season 3. Oh, okay, never mind. Uh I don't know if you've seen this episode. He, well, I don't want to say I don't, anything. Where, where he says, I've gotten used to you. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. that's what I was going to mention. That's the one that's, I was thinking of. That's the episode when Tasha Yar's 
sister, sister shows up. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, gotten used to you. Yeah, and he he talks about so, how he I gets get used that. to like I memory pathways will become like well worn because he's thinking about a specific person a lot. I think that he that's what he thinks is happening, but those are feelings. I think so too. That's, I honestly that's what do. I think it yeah. is. And but I you know feelings in a way that he doesn't understand because he, he doesn't understand their feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he's just he's almost like a sociopathic human. Yeah. Who has Which I think is why I'm so hot for him. Who has <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. elaborate. Yeah, no, I don't want to. <laughs> All right. You, you you girls know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Come on, ladies. You get it. If you get it. <laughs> if you get tell it. Tell me, because I don't get it. Um, I think that he has some form of, like, some form of emotion that is unique to him. But because he's been programmed to not know that he has emotions, he just doesn't think that he does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's He just doesn't realize it. Yeah. Um. So, so yeah. yeah. But, yeah. And I'm not, ugh, okay. Never mind. I can't. She looked perplexed and oh. stared into his eyes. What are you talking about? Oh, I just don't want to. I don't want to like spoil anything. I'm just oh, like yeah, being no, very no. careful about what I'm saying. STFU, don't say anything. Yeah. So we'll move on. But data. Uh, so data's an android. Uh, yeah. So I always loved data. Yeah. I always did, but you know, he just wasn't my favorite because to me, I was like, oh, okay, he's like the new Spock. Cool. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and it's really interesting to watch a, an actor play a robot who has no emotions. At least in theory. Mm-hmm. And they don't explicitly say that for a while, that he doesn't have emotions. Yeah. I, I don't even know if it happens in season one. It might be later than that. I don't that. remember. I, just, I guess I assumed that he wasn't supposed to have emotions. Does it happen in the... Well, he does say it explicitly a lot later on in the series. Yeah. Does he say it in the episode with his brother in Data Lore? I don't remember. I don't remember either. I don't remember. That's an interesting episode. Yeah, it's a great episode. Yeah. I liked it a lot. Um... So we, so Tasha Yar, chief of security, total badass, totally um, awesome, but, super honest, and code of honor. She's saying like, I mean, I admit I'm attracted to this guy because he's super like, I mean, like she's not afraid to admit like yeah. her attractions, and she's not afraid to be who she is, and she's just a total fucking badass. I mean, yeah. a female security officer that just totally plays to the child in me who's watching this. Yeah, where I know that as a kid, I probably would have been totally into that because cool. she's a fucking female security person. Like, yeah. like when does that happen? Yeah. Never. You know, so like, I mean, at least not when I was a kid. I went to a Star Trek convention. I was. Watching walking down the hallway and Denise Crosby who played Tasha Yar walked by and I was like hi Denise and she's like oh hi good to see you like she knew me it was <laughs> she probably, awesome she, pro- she was really I don't remember that at that comic at that convention it was just a Star Trek convention it was at SeaTac. I met I ran into physically ran into William Shatner oh my gosh rounding so a corner cool. we bumped into each other it was awesome did you just like, I met get a boner Immediately. I had a boner the whole time. I didn't get a boner. I had a boner. I met um, Counselor Troy. I had a long conversation with her, and she was just so wonderful and charming. Who we haven't talked about yet, Marina Sirtis, who played Counselor Troy. I had no opinion on her. So Counselor Troy is a very bizarre character. I love her now. I love, like I I I said, I love all the characters. But the idea that there would be a counselor on a starship who sits on the bridge and assists the captain. I did find that really interesting. I love that. It's the only series that that happens in, and I don't know why. I think it's such a great dynamic. The cynic in me, though, however. Yeah. Okay, I do remember now. One of my first impressions of her was the reason I didn't have an opinion on her is because I didn't 
she didn't have a character for the first few episodes, I felt she like. She didn't. She just was there, and she's like, to me, calling her a counselor was just a kind of a thinly veiled way to be like, here's this attractive person that we want sitting on the bridge for mm. viewers, to, for guys to watch, yeah, basically. Yeah, I could see that. And, and that so that's, to me, it was just kind of a thinly veiled attempt to like get an attractive person in one of the seats on the bridge. Yeah. And, and that was my impression. As somebody who's watched a lot of TV yeah. in the 80s and 90s, well, really 90s, I was like five. But like, you know. Um, I've never thought of it that way. I mean, there may have been subconsciously or... No, it's, it's explicit. It's I mean, usually explicit. Been, they do yeah. those things explicitly. Working in TV, yeah, I, they do those things explicitly. We never cast somebody who people are going to like looking at unless they're so fucked up that people are going to like watching that train wreck. Yeah. You know? I mean, and when like, you get to like later Star Trek series, it's incredibly explicit. Like Voyager, when you get Seven of Nine, she's in the tightest catsuit you've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when you get to Enterprise, you got Jolene Blaylock, who plays T'Pol, who was my favorite. Ep- she was my favorite character on the show. I loved her character. But she's wearing, like, a ridiculously tight outfit. Yeah. And, I mean, it started with Counselor Troy, who wore this yeah. really tight outfit. Yeah. None of the other characters are in an outfit anything remotely like it. No, she's the only one with her outfit. Yeah. On the bridge. Which is weird. And, they- and, and I just thought it was this thinly veiled attempt. And it's like, oh, a counselor? Really, guys? Yeah. A counselor? Like, why do you need a fucking counselor? Now we need a counselor. I've watched it. Yeah. And, and, and they've found amazing reasons to have a counselor. And I mean, it's she's great. a therapist. It's wonderful. She's a fucking therapist, which yeah. is very important when she you're has- dealing with interstellar, like, yeah. connections with people that Absolutely. you've never met before. So it is amazing now. And you're out in deep but space. You're away from Earth. I'm just you're saying, away from everything you first know. First impressions... Yeah. Season one, I'm like, come on, you guys. You know, like... It's well recognized that they yeah. that they did not know what to do with her in season one. Yeah. Especially in the first episode where she's just like, I feel pain. Yeah. Like, she's, she's an empath. She feels yeah. the emotions of other well, people. Well, I did read on Wikipedia that part of the reason they cast her was because she was... She reminded... Gene Roddenberry of somebody who had been big in a sci-fi thing. I need to look this oh, up before I start I talking heard that. about it. But she had this foreign look yeah. that they really wanted on the show. Interesting. So that was like a thing. Yeah. The way she looked definitely played into it. Yeah. Um, but the, I mean, to be fair, that's always been the case in a positive way on Star Trek, where they always wanted to show a multiracial cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way where it just like wasn't a thing, yeah. and so this is how I'm I, just saying as yeah. a first season where they're yeah, trying yeah. to start something amazing to get people to watch. Yeah. You know, that's gonna be one of the things they do. Tasha Yar, hot. Yeah. Fucking hot. But Patrick Stewart, fucking hot. Bald. But, but super hot. I know, but I'm just saying, like Jonathan Frakes. That's very a piece hot. of man, right yeah, there. Yeah. 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 Um, oh man. Mm. That Riker. ass, that ass, though. Riker is the first officer. He His was so that guy's ass. Well, I was wonderful. obsessed with it the first season, dude. Yeah. I could not stop. And he fills out as an actor yeah. like, over the course of the. <laughs> he seven didn't years. have a beard, and that was shocking to me when he had oh, a beard all of a sudden. <laughs> Baldy face, Riker. But I mean, he fills out and like. He's this ladies' man, yeah. you know, and then he kind of becomes like a middle-aged ladies' man. Yeah, but I think he kind of sells it. There's like it. a certain amount of cheesiness to it that yeah. is really—I just—he's hilarious. Everything yeah. about him to me is hilarious. I always laugh when he goes yeah. on screen just because he's so over the top in a wonderful <laughs> way. He's great. Yeah, and Jonathan Frakes, the actor, <laughs> is actually like a very accomplished director. He directed 
two of the Next Generation feature films. I I saw that he directed an episode at least. Several. He directed yeah. a bunch of episodes. I only noticed one when I happened to see yeah. it. Um, Do you know the, the movies The Librarian with Noah Wiley? No. He directed those. They're like made-for-TV movies that they now have a, a TV show of. Which I think he's directed some episodes of the TV I show. I have no idea. He's directed a ton of stuff now. Like That's he's cool. He's just been around for... Since Star Trek ended, he's mainly been directing. And he's like made a real name for himself as director. Good on him. That's yeah, cool. it's really cool. I mean, I I really like respect and like that guy a lot. He's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I just... I... I'm not. I'm an infant. I don't know what's going on with any of these people. I don't yeah. know what they've moved on to. I follow a few of them on Twitter, and they never post. Yeah. But um, have we done everyone? I can't imagine we have. Jordy. Uh, Jordy LaForge. Jordy fucking LaForge. My namesake on yeah. Facebook. How can I forget Jordy? <laughs> I mean, for me, it's hard to say that anyone but Jordy is my favorite character. Tell you. Tell me why tell you love Jordy so much. Because I like him a lot. Yeah. I do. Uh, he's a super nerd. Yeah. I'm into that. But they kind of don't establish that till later. They don't establish Jordy. In, in the first season, Jordy was actually... Okay, in the first season, I'm going to blow your mind. Wesley uh, was the biggest star on the show. Why? Because he was in Stand By Me and it was a huge hit. Oh my God, he was. <laughs> I love that movie. I've actually never seen it. I'm going to show you Stand By All Me. Right. We're going to do a double feature. It's going to be totally so, random. Blade Runner, Stand By Me. <laughs> For a second, I thought you were going to say Blade with Wesley Snipes, and I was out. No. What? Oh, man, Blade. Oh, my God. We're going to talk about this later. I watched, that's some bullshit. I got I don't halfway through Blade that. 3 just because I listened to this like rant from Patton Oswalt about it, and I had to see it for myself. Oh, my God. Anyway, um, so Wesley was the biggest star and he was kind of like the draw of the show for star power second biggest draw was lavar burton who plays jordy laforge because he was in roots um and i think that reading rainbow it ran concurrently with next generation yeah we all know lavar burton from reading rainbow that's what i know him from yeah i don't know know he played like what kunta kinte yeah he was the young kunta kinte in the the beginning of roots and i mean it was huge and it was a big deal so he was big star power and uh, I mean, Whoopi Goldberg comes on the show in season two oh, through seven as Guinan, who's just amazing. Mi- uh, uh, so great. I, I, I can't even her. explain how much I love Guinan. I love her so much. Yeah. Yeah. I love, oh my God. But I know that this on. doesn't happen in the first season, but I gotta just give a shout out to that flirtation scene between her and Riker where he's trying to show Wesley how to flirt with women. Oh, God. Shout oh, out. It's so good. So good. Yeah. <laughs> when she stabs Q in the hand with a fork. Oh, baller. Yeah, so good. <laughs> She's a baller. Um, <laughs> but she did the show because uh, she was friends with LeVar Burton, and he, like... That's cool. Kinda, I had no idea. Like, like brought that connection. So, so tell me why, like, did... W- so did your favoritism for him stem from the first season? No. So in the first season, he is the pilot, which right. is... So bizarre to watch because, I mean, Joy LaForge is the chief engineer. Yeah, I forgot know? that he was the pilot yeah. because that's just not right. He is the chief yeah. engineer. And in season one, they had like a variety of like one-off guest appearances as chief engineer. Like there was chief engineer Argyle and chief engineer What's-Her-Name. <laughs> um, I don't remember any of the other names. But they were just like people that would come on every once in a while. In the original Star Trek, Scotty was the chief engineer and he was so iconic. Um, to not have a chief engineer was crazy i don't understand why they did that because they probably from a writing standpoint felt that it should be there should be the full cast should just be on the bridge all the time i think you're right 
I think that's it. Um, um, because which is wrong. It, be, yeah, it obviously works out great. They yeah. figured out. Oh wait, we have cameras. We can put them anywhere. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. So but like, season two, they moved Jordy down to engineering, and, and then it, all and of a sudden you have this dynamic. And it was beautiful. Yeah. And like all of a sudden, like people need to be in different places to do a job on yeah. the ship. And it gives a sense of reality. Yes, exactly. You feel like you're on this ship where people have to go places and do things. And it really gives a sense of urgency to things sometimes. And it's great. And like Jordy would come up to the bridge and he'd go to his engineering station. He'd say, transfer engineering to the bridge. And it would light up, and all of a sudden, he's control has minimal controls of like engine stuff when he needs to be on the bridge. Right. It's just so cool. I mean, mm-hmm. the inner workings of that ship were so real to me. I mean, I felt every like nook and cranny, every like bolt and like plank and wall, <laughs> all of it felt real to me. It was just all so wonderful. And I think Jordy is what sold that to me. I think maybe that's why he's my favorite, is because he is the one who made the Enterprise feel tactile and real to me. Because, you know, when he's in a panic and he's running around and fixing shit, uh, he sells it. He, he just brought sells it to it. an actual three-dimensional space for you. Yeah. Yeah, he really did. Yeah. And he's just so cool. <laughs> he's so cool. He just, like, has this amazing cool about him. But he's, like, terrible with women. I love that. That's what yeah. I was going to say that I love about him. He's actually just, a, he's so good he's at a stuff. Dork. But he's such a nerd. Yeah. And and he got caught having that weird like hollow hollow deck like oh, relationship with that girl with Leah Brahms. With, yeah, yeah, with the other like genius fucking engineer woman or yeah. whatever her name. Yeah, you just said her name. I'm sorry. I always yeah. forget their names. But like, um, you know, and it's just so painful and awkward. Like, yeah, it's really <laughs> sometimes. painful. And, and like, I love that because that's real. That's yeah. stuff that we all go through. Yeah. But, um, but it, you know, he's still not my favorite. Uh, you know, I love him. I love everyone. But, like, um, it just never occurred to me for him to be my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. I think another thing that makes me... I don't... He's... I, saying that he's my favorite feels weird. Because I don't have a favorite. I mean, I right. really don't. Data, Picard, Jordy, um, and Guinan are all so up there. Guinan doesn't really count to me because she's not a cast regular. Yeah. But, I mean, Data, Picard, and Jordy are really hard for me to pick between. I don't really have a favorite among them. But um, one of the things that really endeared Jordy to me, in particular, was that Data is his best friend. I love that dynamic. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. The fact that Jordy's best friend is a machine... Is, is so telling. Incredible. It's so telling. Yeah, a machine that has no emotions. Uh-huh. And then Jordy can't have a relationship with a human, you know? But he is in love with his ship and he's in love with his android friend. Right. It's so brilliant. It's just so brilliant. <laughs> it just works so well. He's so cool, though. I mean, he gets along with everyone. He just has this great surface relationship great with everyone. Great sense of humor. Great sense of humor. Right. Super cool guy. But the only things that he can truly love are machines. And there's a sadness and a beauty to that yeah. that I just connect with, you know, and I just, I just feel it. Mm-hmm. Something else that's really cool about Jordy, because Jordy is blind and he wears a visor so he can see. He sees an infrared light. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, because in the future they can cure blindness, but it's not perfect, you know? Yeah. They can give you something so you can see. And it causes him constant pain. I just watched uh, Masterpiece Society today. Oh, you did? Yeah, um, and... That's and an episode in season four. It's an episode in season four, I know, but we're talking about his I'm, blindness. I'm telling everyone else. <laughs> um, no, I know, but but I'm just saying, I know we're not supposed to be talking about that, but it, no, they, no, they do it. explain a little bit more, and they, they do a few times before this as well, but they explain a little bit more about how his visor works, and mm-hmm. like, 
And um, it's really interesting because they bring up like how it, there's a possibility for sensory overload. So they have to figure out a way to like, you know, surpass that by like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know all the science talk. Yeah. I'm just saying like. Most of it's bullshit. That, like, yeah, it's all bullshit. But like, I'm sorry. I have to adjust myself because I'm like flashing miles. Audrey is now adjusting herself. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I forgot what my point was because I'm halfway through this whiskey. I am done with my whiskey. Oh my I wish gosh. I had more whiskey. It's such good whiskey. It is. It's actually good now that you've taught me how to drink whiskey. I was telling Audrey before, when you drink whiskey, yeah. a nice whiskey, you just got to like touch your tongue to it. Just get yeah. like a taste of it. And then just have it last for a good long time. Yeah, th- like, that's working. Oh shit, I have some scotch. Oh, Talk okay. to the people. I'm He's going to get some scotch. Um, anyway, I, I just, I, I really love Jordy. Uh, he's super funny, but like I said, and I keep going back to this, but in season one, if you haven't seen the show yet and you're just listening to this to see if you want to watch it, you've got to give it more of a chance because season one is great and there's so much great sci-fi in there, but it gets so good after season one and you really get to know people. Yeah. And, and getting to know people is the most important part about Star Trek. Absolutely. Hands and you down. got that. You got that right. As a newbie, you've got that right. Yeah. That is the most important part. It's the most important part yeah. about that show is getting to know the characters because that's how you get to know yourself, man. Yeah. yeah. But the hook in season one for me is the sci-fi. The Absolutely. Sci-fi There's in some one great, great sci-fi in so season let's one. But it. that's the thing. The well runs dry. And, and and then they start writing amazing characters, and there's amazing character yeah. development. I, I know what you're saying, and I agree. Mm-hmm. I will say that I do not believe that the well runs dry. Well, they felt like the well run, ran dry. I feel I, like. The well runs dry by the time they get to Star Trek Voyager, in my opinion. <laughs> um, because it's the same team. And then they, I think that they had a little bit of a revitalization in Enterprise, but it was like too little too late because that show got a rough start. Uh, that's another day. Okay, so we talked a little bit about the first episode, um, Encounter at Farpoint. The big thing that's introduced in the first episode that we haven't touched on is Q, who is one of the main oh. foils of oh. the entire series. I do have something to say about that. Give me some Q. I don't like God characters. Never have. Never will. So Q- I don't like them. I think that it's lazy writing. Hmm. I think that you can't... It, it, it makes... You can't get out of that sort of problem without it being cheap. You know, like... You so know. I think that Q is one of the best characters on the show. I I, do I, think that, I like him now as a character because yeah. he's funny, but like, and he's he's kind of silly, you know. Like, oh yeah, he's very know, funny. He's a funny dude, so I like him now as a character. I like how they ended up in a place where it didn't turn into lazy writing necessarily. Yeah, and they were able to use him again. But I I have never just as a just like as a general thing, I don't like God characters. In the first episode, not only do they run into a God character, but they break the prime directive. Those are two big no no's. They almost lost me there. Yeah. <laughs> I I am not wild about encounter at Farpoint. Like I the parts the of that thing episode about that I breaking love, real quick, just the yeah, thing yeah. about breaking the prime directive, like if I were a writer that's something that you go to when you're running out of things to write about and you need yeah. something big to happen. You don't oh, start that way. You don't start, breaking the pri- you don't start you. a series breaking the prime directive. That's right. crazy to me. Yeah. Just- that was just insane. So I was like, I don't know, dude. Like after that first one, but I was like, no, nah, give it a chance. This is what you do. Okay. I have you to know. say, prime directive is like the main rule of Starfleet. Mm-hmm. is uh, you shall not interfere with other cultures' development. Uh-huh. That's the prime directive. For okay. anyone who doesn't know. And Q, for anyone who doesn't know, is 
this. He's a god character. He's an omnip- omnipotent being. I just hate that those they fucks. encounter like, in the first episode who can do anything. I mean, he he's he's basically like so his society is so advanced that to us he is god, you know. Yeah. Um and he is so stuck up. Like he looks down on everyone, but what they set up in the first episode is that humanity is on trial for being barbaric. Um and kind of like the the undercurrent of that episode is how we deal with the situation that we encounter at this Farpoint station determines whether or not humanity deserves to survive. I think it's a great concept. I think that they ha- they hadn't set up everything well enough with the running of the show to really pull it off. It's just not a good first episode. Like It's I, really bizarre. Like it's, it's weird to just start out like that. It's awkward. It it has like a, a a really downer feel to it. Yeah. But the character introductions are wonderful. Um meeting Data for the first time on the holodeck when Riker comes in and Data is That's a great scene. And he's, like, whistling and he's jumping around and, like, yeah. climbing on, like, all of that cool jungle scenery. Yeah. And um, Riker calls him Pinocchio because <laughs> he wants to be a real boy. Yeah. It's a very good setup for, see, it's, for them. See, but see, just a little side note. How could somebody without feelings want anything? Right. Um, <laughs> and that's a really interesting thing with that. That was the first thing that I thought when he yeah. said that. And I was like, well, he has to have feelings. Then later on he said he didn't. And I was like, but he literally said that he wanted to be a real person. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so I just think he has feelings. But anyway. does a sociopath want feelings? Maybe. Maybe. But he's Maybe not a sociopath. He's, he's, he's a robot. He's an android. Right. Well, when I think of a sociopath, I think of, of a human being who doesn't have normal human emotions. You know, what do you think of? I don't know. That's that's a whole. Like, I'm I'm not thinking about like a, a sociopathic a murderer. I'm not thinking about someone who's going out killing people. I'm thinking about someone who just doesn't feel emotions. Yeah. Like everyone. Uh, well, else. I think yeah. Well, there's a difference between sociopath and psychopath, but like. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, so, and I think that like data. You know, I'm not saying data is a sociopath, but I'm thinking that if someone doesn't have emotions and they're looking at all these other people that do, um, like. I know, when I look, when I don't feel something, my my the difference is, is that he's literal. We're in a universe where he's literally not supposed to have right. emotions. Well, which I, is I'd different. say the argument is that <laughs> if he doesn't have emotions, maybe he's just seeing what he's missing uh-huh. and curious. Maybe he's wondering yeah. what because he has curiosity by the tote load. He right. has so much curiosity. Totally. By the tote load. Yeah. <laughs> shout out. Shout out to Dan. <laughs> that was a turbo good. Turbo sketch that fest. Was a tote turbo, load. Shout turbo out. Turbo <laughs> shout out. Shout out. Yeah. Man, I I quote the Tiny Baby Talk Show on a regular basis. <laughs> I don't know about you. I really do. I say tote load a lot actually yeah. <laughs> out in the world. Jury's still out on tote load. Yeah. No, not for me. I love it. Encounter Four Point. Kind of a weird episode. Some stuff that I really like. Overall, not my favorite. I'll watch it every once in a while and be like... The moment at the end where those two alien beings meet and touch each other, I love that. That's great. Cool puppetry. Mm -hmm. I like that stuff. Moving on. The Naked Now, uh, Season 1, Episode 2. This this is another one that I would argue is a good episode to start on. Okay, so this is the one... This is the one where everyone gets drunk. This episode... Okay, so this episode... I'm a new new viewer, right? Mm -hmm. I'm watching this... And I'm like, so far we've got a sultry minx, 
we've got like my opinion is not high right like <laughs> my opinion of this show is not very high just in the in as much as like i noticed this light sexism that's happening uh-huh. and like and i get that it's a sign of the times and it doesn't right. bother me that much but there's just some of it's kind of lazy there's already a god character like mm-hmm. you know like all which of, i don't have a problem with by the way yeah, but continue but for me this is like i'm already watching this stuff second episode boom everyone's drunk data and tasha fuck like <laughs> like all of this weird stuff stuff happens i'm like damn they are really just laying into okay, some of you're this right. stuff i completely like- take it back <laughs> i completely take it back the idea that that should be the first episode you watch is crazy talk but you know why i said that is because this was it's designed a funny episode it was designed as a second pilot because they felt like the tone of the first one was maybe a little off from what they were trying mm-hmm. to achieve they wanted to inject a sense of fun into it to get people hooked. It's a funny episode. It's really fun. It is a funny episode, yeah. and I want to go back and watch it now yeah. that I know everyone. Now that so you well. know, when you know everyone, it's great. You're right. Yeah, you can't but, watch that first. But but yeah. as a second episode, I was like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, I didn't really start really getting into it until Code of Honor. You're blowing my mind, Spock. I'm cra- that's crazy talk. Yeah, episode Hold on. three. I gotta say one thing about Naked Now before we move on. Okay, yeah, no, of um, course. I'm just saying, like... In, in Naked Now, the, there's this, like, weird space virus that makes them all feel drunk. Mm-hmm. That happened in the original series. That is an episode from the original series. Cool. It's called The Naked Time, where they all get drunk and go crazy. So it was also kind of, like, trying to appease some of those fans that were so upset. Right. But it just ended up angering them because, like, oh, well, you're just going to, like, rehash plots yeah, in the original series? Yeah, that was series. a dumb idea. So they never they did anything like that again. Yeah. Um, and yeah. like I said, it was funny. Yeah. I laughed. I, I mean, I know? saw it for the first time as a kid, and I loved yeah, it. Yeah, and, it's, and it was, it's, it's not a bad episode, but when it comes to getting hooked on a show... Look at this. It's just an excuse to, like, I, if you guys go on Netflix and check out, like, the um, the thumbnails for for these episodes, season one, episode two, The Naked <laughs> Now, is a screenshot of uh, Picard. He's, like, leaning in to kiss uh, Crusher, Beverly Crusher. It's and very it, it's misleading. It's just one of those things where it's, like, you know creating all of this weird soap opera-esque like sexual tension to try to hook people into watching their show and i'm not into that like do some do some good writing don't don't hit me with a god character and sexual tension like right away and then don't hit me with like a teenager saving the ship right away yeah like that we don't need all of that right away the first time wesley saves the ship is season one episode two yeah yeah and it's just all okay. too soon. It's all too soon. I do love you it, know? though. I mean, that episode... It, it, but it's a great episode. Yeah. That said, I do like it, and yeah. I want to go back and watch it now that I know everyone so much better. Like, Yeah, see, this is why it's hard to tell someone where to start, yeah. because I don't like either of those episodes that much without knowing the characters. Yeah. And when I know the characters, I actually really enjoy Encounter at Farpoint. But when I look at it from the point of view of this is the first episode of my favorite show ever, I'm a little underwhelmed. Yeah. Maybe even slightly embarrassed. Yeah. This is a really good idea you had talking to me because this is interesting to hear from you now because you are just so familiar with everyone. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating um, to me. I mean, because this is like my lifeblood. This show is my moral center. Like this show. <laughs> it's your religion. It's my religion. It really is. Yeah. Like I did not grow up religious. I grew up with a sense of morals that I got from Captain Picard, you know? Yeah. Like, it's very ingrained in me. I learned how to relate to other people from this show. I learned how to relate to, I mean, to romance from this show. Like, how to approach people with respect from this show. I've never, like, I had to be taught what racism was when I was a young kid. Because this show, there is, I mean, almost none. 
Yeah. There is some racism in this show. Like, there's some some stuff. They, they don't do it perfect all the time. Yeah. And every once in a while, there's, like, some weird... Like, well, it also can't help but be, you know, part of the time that that's it was it. released. Yeah, it that's what I was going to say. It. That's it. You know? Yeah. Uh, but when I was a kid, like, my, my next door neighbor um, and my best friend Which was... is why I can look past some of the sexism and right. stuff, you know. You, but you, anyway, go ahead. And in the original series, it's even worse. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I struggled with that in the original series. But my next door neighbor when I was a kid was this kid named Ronnie. He's Chaldean, which is uh, Iraqi Catholic, who moved to the United States to avoid religious persecution. Um, and the two big pockets of Chaldeans in the United States is Michigan and San Diego. And I grew up in San Diego, so there's a lot of Chaldeans in my neighborhood. And my best friend as a kid was a Chaldean. And there was a lot of racism from white people towards Chaldeans in my neighborhood. And I did not know what it was. You know, my best friend was a Chaldean. I just looked at him as another person because, you know, Worf is a fucking Klingon. Like, he's from another planet. And, like, Picard does such a good job of explaining why you need to respect Worf and respect his customs. And when he wants to do something that seems crazy to you, you need to look at his cultural heritage and figure out why. And then you need to not pass judgment on him. So that's how I approached all of my relationships as a kid. And then I moved to Seattle, and we live in the future in Seattle. Like, we live in this wonderful... Seattle's wonderful, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. We live in a society that is the closest thing to this, Star Trek. We're where technology comes from. Yeah, we are. Like, that's the, this is where it happens, guys. So. Yeah, like, we live in this amazing, artistic, enlightened community that... I mean, it's not perfect, but yeah. I think that if anything is close to this idea of the future that Star Trek presents, it's, it's Seattle. Well, I hate to do this to you, but we're going to end right there. Audrey and I talked for another hour and a half, believe it or not, about Star Trek The Next Generation Season 1. So I figured uh, no one wants to listen to three hours at once. We're going to cut that down, cut that into two episodes. So that's going to make up Episodes 1 and 2. If you want to hear the rest, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Otherwise, you'll never know what happens next. I just want to say thank you so much for listening to Episode 1. Audrey and I had just the absolute best time recording this conversation uh and there's going to be so much great stuff coming up in the future on this podcast just a lot of excitement just to be alive and talk about science fiction i'm going to close out this podcast with my song the traveler since we talked about it in this episode i thought it would be a fitting end to the conversation uh you can hear firsthand what i do in my spare time when i get real excited about star trek i write songs about it so thank you so much for listening stay tuned for episode two and here it is the traveler Introduce